What's going on, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls? Welcome, Christopher Roush. No, welcome to you. Welcome to the Raw and Unscripted Show. We're back here again live every single Tuesday night, 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, bringing you the goods. We're doing it live on the video cast. Many of you listen on the audio podcast, so thank you, thank you, thank you. We're in like 26 different countries right now, so thank you from all over the world. It makes my heart so huge to know that these words from my mouth and the interviews that I have and the conversation that I'm having is reaching all across the globe because my intention every week when I show up here, everything that I do, my intention is to bring this world closer together. My intention is to make this world a more loving, collaborative, inclusive place so that our kids and our kids' kids inherit something amazing and not something they have to fix. So we as adults have an opportunity for us to reframe our perspective about our beliefs and our past and our present and our future. We have an opportunity to level up and become the best possible versions of ourselves in order to leave this world a much better place. We have to get our shit together, ladies and gentlemen, and you are at your place where I help you get your shit together, where I bring the experiences that I've had or the coaching experiences I've had or the guests that I've had on the show or that I will have on the show mm -hmm, um, to share their experiences with you, to ignite a fire within yourself, to realize that it is possible that you do not have to reach rock bottom in order to find the leverage in which to do something different with your life. You can find that proactive leverage. You can find that proactive resiliency. You can find that discipline within yourself by finding your why. When you find a big enough why, you have a big enough how. I was just coaching somebody that today. When you have a big enough why, you have a big enough how. You have to get crystal clear on that why. You have to be very intentional about fulfilling an obligation every single day to make a dent in that why. And when you're living intentionally and you're living congruently and you're enjoying the moments and you're growing and you're surrounding yourself with amazing people, guess what? you live a pretty incredible kick-ass life. It doesn't, it's not about having 18 bathrooms in a house. It's not about having a Bugatti or a Lamborghini. It does not about all those things. It's about the moments we get to experience, the moments we create, and really about the moments we put ourselves into that we get to experience life. We get to experience the fear and the excitement and the adrenaline of being alive and living in this moment as opposed to existing in it, playing someday. Oh, someday that's when this happens and I pray and I wish and I hope and all that other stuff. And then your life passes you by and guess what? You're left with nothing but regrets. Nothing but regrets. Is that really what you're about? Is that why you signed up to come here and have this amazing experience? Is this why you've survived hundred percent of the things that you've already been through? Just to be mediocre, just to be complacent, just to be lazy. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I invite you tonight, again, whether you're live or on the replay or listening to us on the audio podcast, take notes because I know for sure this conversation tonight is going to be fire. What's up, Ted? Ted saying here, he's uh, chiming in on the live broadcast. He says, so true. Thank you very much, Ted. I appreciate you, brother. Got Robert Broker in the house. Says, hey, Christopher. Ted says, hey, everyone. It's great to, it's a great way to think my friend. Yes. Yes. I like to say, like, so, I mean, I'm, if I went from a homeless seventh grade dropout to being where I'm at today, I must be doing something right. So, um, I'm excited for my guest tonight. We have had a, a, an initial conversation. We've had conversations over the internet, uh, for the last couple of months. Um, she was intentionally supposed to be on the show in May because uh, we're booked out until June, but because I'm so excited about having her on the show and having this conversation, and I know she's going to bring fire. I decided to put her up at the front of the list, ladies and gentlemen. So without any further ado, please put your hands together and please clap very loudly for the one and only Ariel Ziegler. What's up, Ariel? How are you doing, sweetheart? I am doing quite amazing. Thank you for the privilege of bringing me on early. 
yeah, you know, I figured you and I had some chemistry and we both speak the same language. I talk about it when you're posting on Facebook, you're posting your cool little sayings. And I'm like, she's reading my brain. She's reading my brain. She's reading. And I even put it down. I'm like, I'm not fucking around. You're reading my brain. We share a lot of the same philosophies about life. And the thing that I love about you the most is you're real. You're authentic. You've been through some shit. You help other people go through some shit. You make the world a better place. You don't fuck around and you do it with a sense of heart and with a sense of compassion. I know that, uh, and I know I, I said, I put in the intro that Nicole Tiffany had introduced us. And yes. so shout out to Nicole. Thank you very much for doing that. Um, she saw that we were two people that were vibrantly, uh, in the same frequency as far as our intellect and also our passion to, to use the experiences that we had in our life to, to make it better for other people. So talk to me about what it is that you want to get across most people tonight. When you're thinking about the conversation being her on and scripted and what we do about, you know, getting people unstuck and getting people living their best possible life. What do you want to get across to people most? And let's, uh, let's dive into that. You're the creator of your life, not the victim. And that's the biggest, uh, that was the biggest life changing moment for me when I realized that I was not a victim of circumstance, but a master of my own destiny. And it took a lot of very, um, real moments, to be able to create that sense of ownership, but it was always there. It's just the fear of actually taking responsibility for the experiences that we've had in the past and how we've decided to allow certain things to happen. And yes, trauma, quote unquote, happens to us, but it's not about what happens to us with the trauma. It's how we deal with it. Yes. Decide to own the experiences and, and judgment only comes when you can only see one end of the spectrum, not the entirety of the experience and what it actually brings to you. And none, no one here knows any of my past, but much like you, I had my stint with homelessness. I was um, diagnosed with an eating disorder. I had my addictions. I seen death. I've seen murder, diagnosed PTSD, anxiety, panic disorder, all those fun things that brought me to making my business in 2020 and realizing that either we're going to pick up our pick up our big girl uh shoes or we're going to subsist to the government or die so right. obviously we're here now and <laughs> i uh created my business in 2020 after i healed through all of that despite what normal pop culture would tell you about the therapy cycle of always needing to be broken and right. never fully being able to be healed Mm -hmm. That's so true. That's that's the problem I have with 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 modern psychology and things of that nature. That's why I became a coach. I actually was studying psychology. Was going to become a mm -hmm. psychiatrist. Was going to go that route. And I just started. The more I saw it, the more I saw it was prescriptively designed for them to keep coming back and keep coming back. I'm like, okay, no. There's actually solutions to these situations. It's not all about revisiting your childhood. It's about reframing your perspective about your childhood and then doing different actions progressively to get you out of your comfort zone to create that courage and to create that discipline to be able to get that ultimate end result. Result. When you think back back on your life, when you're talking about that 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 awareness, you use the R word, which I call the R word. You know, I don't I, I don't think fuck is a bad word. I think R is one of those bad words that people associate with. But responsibility, right? Mm -hmm. We can sit there, and a situation can happen to us once. But you're right. You know, we get to play it over and over in our head saying, oh, I'm the victim, I'm the victim, I'm the victim, and yet not do anything about it except for bitch, piss, and moan and wonder why we're not happy. How do you suggest that people get real with themselves to stop the lying, to stop the bullshit, to, 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 to say, yes, yes, it was a fucked up experience, but you're repeating in your head, you're, you're self-sabotaging yourself. How do we get people to take ownership and responsibility to try to see that situation from a different perspective like you did? There comes a point at which everybody has their threshold, as you're well aware of, like there, there, there is a degree of pain and because 
there's the uncomfortability of staying comfortably uncomfortable where you're at, as I right. like to say, right? It's like, I'm annoyed, I'm uncomfortable, but it's not so much so that I'm willing to actually sacrifice my sense of identity, right? Because many times it means that this person now has to confront the way that they view themselves and anything counter to identity, just based off of very bare bare, bare bones mechanistic survival is like, if you are counter to someone's identity, they are going to bite and kick and scream against any sort of perception or belief that is contrary to that. And that's why, I mean, even politics in diets, in whatever it is that all of these religious ideologies, anything that is counter to an individual's belief of self will be religiously protected. And we have these religiously protected, protected senses of identity within ourselves. Yeah. And so it's like, oh shit, I have to actually um, go against this perception of how I view myself to be able to actually create change in my life. And so you really have to, for a lot of people, unfortunately, it's it's weighing and balancing for those who are a little more cognizantly aware. But for many, unfortunately, they have to reach rock bottom. And for me, some of those rock bottom mo moments was one of them was an, an eating disorder facility. Another yeah. was an exercise addiction in which I collapsed in exhaustion. Um, and another was COVID. So those were like my three big ones. And I just literally, it was that or literally die quite three times, actually. <laughs> I'm a little extreme. So, um, those are you but, keeping score at home. She's almost died three times back to you in the studio. Actually, it's been eight, but that's another conversation. Oh, Jesus Christ. I slipped across the freeway three times in 2022 and I got bitten by a rattlesnake one month later. But that's you, you, did, you did tell me about that in our initial conversation. I'm like, Jesus Christ, you are meant to, to be here, right? <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, you have to, there is that moment that the person realizes internally, I just, I'm not willing to put up with my own bullshit anymore. Um, or the cost versus reward, like the loss of a loved one, the loss of not being there for their child, the loss of not being there, losing their spouse, whatever it may be, or actual physical possible death. Right. It's very true. It's very real. And that's what you're talking about. I was actually just coaching somebody earlier today. And I love the fact that questions really have the key to unlock where we're at, right? You know, I think about my terms of my life and the things that I've done to change my situations. It's been those tough questions. Like, mm -hmm. when will I? And I told him this, I told him this today. He's in a he's in a quandary and he's got a lot of stuff going on. And I said, ask yourself this question. When will you when will you have had enough? When I say it fast, it was Bleh. when will you have had enough? I said, yeah. so you're at this point. I said, you're not at a breaking point yet. You're you're investigating your solutions, which I highly commend. I said, but there will come a point where you're going to snap. You're either going to tell the bitch to fuck off. You're going to snap on a customer. You're going to snap on your girlfriend. Something's going to happen. You're going to have a heart attack. You're going to have an anxiety. Something is going to happen that's going to cause you to have to face the situation now. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to create leverage in your life, proactiveness versus a reactiveness situation. I'm trying to create a proactive situation where you can see in your mind's eye that you're going to have this leverage. Use that leverage today to avoid the catastrophe, the cataclysmic fuck up that you might endure if you react to the situation, right? Mm -hmm. How do we help people have that foresight? You know, Because oftentimes we know we're eating bad. Oh, I could get diabetes one day. We keep doing it. We think that it's never going to happen to us. How do we get people to realize that, you know, that the, everybody's on this journey to learn and to grow and to, and to take those risks into the danger zone, because that's where we grow and learn the most. So just because someone says they want to do something doesn't mean they actually want to do it. Yeah, true. Just because what they want isn't that thing. It's the what they think the thing gives them. Yep. It's the emotional attachment. It's the energy behind it. It's the visual representation of that, you know, and you know this, but like it's, 
And then they also have to believe that they are worth that thing. And if they don't believe that they are worth that thing, they are not going to sacrifice their current sense of uncomfortably comfortable situational um, environment to sacrifice for that because they're not even worth it in the first place. So why would they sacrifice that, especially when the hierarchy of themselves is outside themselves? So you have to get very clear on the individual's worth and love for themselves. Is it conditional or unconditional? Okay, it's it's unconditional. Much easier. Very topical extremely easy to realign the values and the belief sets around that. But if it is not, those are first and foremost for any fitness, any health coach, any of those, that is the, those are, that is the crux of all that I teach. If they do not have unconditional love, worth and trust for themselves, they are not going to be able to consistently implement techniques and tools to be able to actually change the topical of their environment. Once you have those three heads, everything else is a lot easier to address. But if you don't, you have to get Mm. into were they were they given that worth for their being, not their doing as a child? Right. Were they given that love for their being, not their doing as a child? Because we are conditioned as a society to reward for action, not existence. Amen. And because of that, we have this huge separation in this reward system. And then unfortunately, the new world wants to give us all these um, accolades for just existing, which is great. But it's not that's not fixing the underlying root of the situation. Nope. And it's actually um, demoralizing those who actually have a higher work ethic. You yep. have to get back to the bare bones basics of the family dynamic and the system there that has been fucked for decades. But you're not passionate about it at all. Not at all. <laughs> There's so many things you just said, Ariel, that that I could jump off of. And I think the one thing that really keyed on me with the most was the love comp- component of it. And, you know, it's something I come from a, from a background, as you can imagine, of toughness and, you know, mental fortitude. And, you know, this is what and, and before probably the last six years of my life, I was very much that way. Like, here's what I know. Here's how I know the success route is. If you do these things, you will be successful, period. End of story. Yeah hard stop. I can teach you how to be successful in relationships and business, anything you want to be in. And then I got to this part where I started understanding the more spiritual aspect of things. And I started realizing that, you know, we have to be more in true connection with our soul rather than our monkey brain. And so oftentimes we let the chatter of the brain control what it is that's happening in here. We let it override. We think it, but this is designed to keep us safe and predictable and certain. And when I was going through COVID and my way of giving back to people was to give them free coaching sessions Yep. and thinking about the self-love component, I was like, that never really kind of dawned in my mind. It did, of course, you know, obviously you got to have love for yourself to invest in yourself. And I've realized that over the years, but as I was giving these free zoom calls, I was probably about 15 of them in and I probably gave a hundred or 125. I didn't keep track. It was just over about a period of a year and a half. And just, if anybody had, was having trouble, I said, okay, if you want a session with me, let's do this. And, um, I heard this little whisper about 15 calls in and it said, ask them, do they love themselves? Yes or no. Yep. And I thought this was a ridiculous little whisper. I call it my, my soul telling me to ask this question. Yep. And I'm like, are you fucking what though? What is that's this stupid? Shit? That's a stupid question. I mean, everybody loves themselves. They may not like themselves. They may be. Ooh. And so I just said, so I just stopped right there and I said, okay, this part, I heard it for a few times and I said, okay, Ariel, I'm going to ask you a question and it's going to be a very yes or no question. I don't want you to think too much about it, but do you love yourself? Yes or no. Mm-hmm. And I was shocked. Yep. 75%. I'm not a, I'm not a calculated guy, but I'm pretty sure about 75% of people that I spoke with stopped and looked at me on the camera went. Yep. Yeah. I think, I think for the most part, you know, I think, you know, there's some, uh, 
Yeah, I don't know. I, that's a good question. I had so many answers. I had very few people who were like, hell yeah, I love myself. And I said, okay, talk to me about how you love yourself. How do you talk to yourself? Mm -hmm. Well, I could use some improvement on that. I, okay. Do you take yourself out for dinner? Well, you know, how do you, and people thought they were loving themselves. I'm like, what would it look like if you started doing a couple of these things? What would it look like if you stopped tolerating some of the bullshit in your life? Oh, wow. I do tolerate a lot of stuff. I'm like, okay, you can love yourself a little bit more by taking some of those tolerations away and holding some people accountable because that'll let them grow too. So in that, in that quest of, of, or in that realization for me, seeing that people struggle to love themselves and realize that, okay, if you don't love yourself, then again, like you said, you know, where are you putting your effort in? Are you, you're staying comfortably miserable. You know, you're, you're playing the certainty game. Like as long as I'm certain that I'm safe and I'm predictable and I'm not going to get out of my comfort zone, how do we get people to love themselves better? How do we get them to find? And I think the, the, the subcomponent of that is that forgiveness and empathy. Cause I know right. you've been wronged. I know you've been through some shit. I have know I been wrong <laughs> or have allowed myself to be wronged? There's right. a yeah, both. <laughs> I, think about, I think about my journey and one of the reasons I'm still sitting here today in a, in a halfway decent shape is that I learned about, I learned about empathy and forgiveness. I learned to see things from people's perspective. I learned to find empathy for my mother who put me through a lot of stuff. I learned to see things from her perspective and that helped me a lot. But what, what do you think we can do tonight to help people get to that, that core space of loving themselves? Cause I, I, I believe that if we can fix that, the world could be a much better place pretty quickly. 100%. People say that they want to fix everything outside themselves and they don't want to fix themselves. So how can you fix the world if you can't fix yourself first and foremost? Right. Um, I believe this is my belief. And I always say that my beliefs can change at any given moment because it is a belief and it is a constraint, which means that the perception can shift. But my current perception towards unconditional love is unconditional acceptance for all past, present and potential of what we can have, can, can do, have done and will possibly do. So it goes to forgiveness completely for everything that we have ever done, everything we have ever involved ourselves with, everything that we have allowed, everything that we have allowed others to do for us, everything that we have done to others, everything, which means a lot of oh shit moments. <laughs> a lot of, oh my God, I allowed that. Oh my God, I allowed that. Oh my goodness, I was responsible for that. And humbleness like a lot of humbleness and a lot of um, self-awareness and emotional intelligence and um, passion and discipline and dedication. But the discipline needs to come from a passionate place, not a place of self-isolation. Yeah. And that's True. a distinct difference. It's not so much the discipline. Can you go deeper on that? Because I want, I want people to really get that. That's important. Uh, so I, for me, it's a huge pet peeve, believe it or not, when people say, you're so inspiring and motivating. And I'm like, why they're like you're so disciplined and i'm like i'm just passionate there's a difference yeah because i don't and i come from a place of that right and i joke because i used to berate myself with exercise right it used to be a, a place of um i hated myself for a little bit there was my mother passed away in 2020 what it was just a gosh her anniversary is coming up in two weeks so 11 years ago and when she passed away i was named the one to take her off life support and i was 22 at the time wow. you know 22 year old me is like fuck i don't want to deal with this you know, mm -hmm. going through school full time, navigating all that. And I was just like, I ran from the deathbed. No shame. None, none left at all. I was like, I don't want to deal with this. I can't handle this. I made excuses to run away whenever she was in the hospital for cancer, dying from breast cancer. Ooh. I hated myself. Yeah. Yeah. I was, but she, Damn, girl. she didn't trust my father to take her off life support and make the decision that was in her best interest. So she put me as the person to make the decision. So, um, I hate no responsibility myself. there. <laughs> that's another tangent. Um, but, um, but it took me a lot of forgiveness. Like I had to really look at myself and like, 
why am I hating myself here? Like, what is this really giving me right now? And I actually realized there was a degree of like, that pain was giving me a connection to her. And many times mm. there are these underlying little um, like benefits that we supposedly reap from yep. not forgiving certain experiences that our subconscious is really fucked and kind of almost like sadistic and holding on to. So it's like, oh, if I don't forgive this, maybe I get to hold on to this person. It's like, it's really mm -hmm. Yeah, the victimhood works for them because people feel sorry for me. And they're like, oh, that's why you're not successful. That's that's why you're not. It's okay. It's okay. Yep. Misery loves company. Poor baby. And, and yep. I got a bunch of freebies too. It was great. So <laughs> like everybody was like giving me stuff when she passed away. And I realized I was like, oh my God, this is a fucked poverty sadistic i still need my mommy relationship and once i realized that i was like i'm actually terrified of taking complete ownership for that and healing it because then it means i don't get these things i'm afraid to have no comfort no buffer no nothing and yeah. i don't really want to let go of mom so there was that moment and once i realized that I, I wrote up uh, for me. I, I'm all about exposure therapy style modalities. I'm I'm like, just like diets, I would rather it suck really bad very quickly and then be done. So right. that's yep. part of my yep. I'm the same way. Rip the bandaid off. Rip whatever. the bandaid off. Be done. Yes. So when I healed that and I was, I was like, this just heaviness was lifted and I was able to freely operate and that's and, and then when you do that your perception opens up and then you see all these experiences that open up for you and I for me I pushed like another tangent for another time is like I wouldn't allow myself compassion I would beat myself into exercise submission um I hated my body I restricted my body all those different things that were shame components and dysmorphia many times is actually manifested shame believe it or not um mm -hmm. once you deal with shame most people's dysmorphia dissolves but that's another tangent for another time but once you did that um I was, I, I, that exercise was actually something I decided to enjoy again. I stopped running to beat myself into the ground. And then after nice. a while I realized I don't even really like running. Oh shit. Okay. So many <laughs> times when we start to realize that it's not the thing that we're doing, it's we're using it for another intention. Yep. It evaporates. And that's why I say mm -hmm. it's, it's the intention behind it. And are you using the experience to self-flagellate or is it because it's passion? And you know, as well as I do, many guys go into the gym, you know, they broke up with a girl, I'm going to go lift and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. and, and they're beating themselves into a certain physicality or mentality that they want. It's like, it's good to improve. But at what point is this now self deprecating and pushing you down because you don't actually have that internal worth and the only worth that you're getting is out of the gym so oh i've met so many people like that mm -hmm. so many people on the outward this is the arrogance the confidence everything else have a conversation with them as a coach whoa you find out the stuff that's really going on inside the insecurities yep. the guilt mm -hmm. everything and you're like trying to unpack that stuff when i first got into coaching a lot of my first coaching people were buddies from the gym Yep. And so like, Hey man, I feel like I could talk to you. Can I be real with you? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to tell you something I've never told anybody before. And yeah. oof, I'm gay. I got people telling me I'm gay. I got people to all, oh, I was sexually, all this stuff. And I'm like, you look like you have it going on. I mean, you're, you're like this, this keeps me alive. They would talk to me about the working out keeps me alive. And I'm like, mm -hmm. I realized that as well. When I was younger, I've been working out since I was 18, 17, 18. And I realized it wasn't for the physicality, although I look good. 
it was for this. Like this is, I need, I need the gym. I need, I need to go push that out there. I need to sweat it out there. I need to see other people out there grinding because it inspires me. I need to go. That's my mental therapy, right? I've been to therapy. I've, I've done antidepressants. I've done all those different things. I've done readings and breath work and, and plant based. I've done all these different things, but I know when I go to the gym consistently, and that's why my word for this year, and I was going to ask you if you do this kind of stuff, like words and stuff like that. I don't see, mm-hmm. I don't see you as that kind of person, but I did my word this year was pride because I realized I realized when I was searching for the word last year, my word was intention, like being very intentional because I mm-hmm. tend to get scattered and I tend to take on too many things. I'm like, okay, being very intentional. My focus is the book. My focus is this. And I was very good this year. I was like, okay, what's my word, right? You know, cause I've done so many things in my life. And I thought pride, because when I take a sense of pride in myself, which I had not been doing as much that my sense of my sense of um, pride about other things started to wane. And I started realizing when we take a sense of pride within ourselves and we have that, that I, I put it on myself is like, okay, if I'm washing my truck or if I'm doing something, how can I do it to a little bit extra effort? And so for me, I go darker, I go creative. And I think the film crew was following me like, okay, we're going to follow Christopher Roush, the no excuses guy, a day in the life. You know, mm-hmm. if they were filming me cleaning my house, if they were filming me doing this or playing with my son, how would I be right? How would I intentionally be for that? And then just be that way anyway. And so I found that I've raised the bar on so many different areas of my life because I was able to sit there and I was able to realize that all the different traumas and the different challenges in my life had prepared me for those opportunities. Right. And Mm -hmm. so I think for when we can get people to shift their perspective from being that victim into being in the victor mind, that's one thing we get them to have that self-love component from your standpoint, moving, moving from that point, how do people find clarity on what it is that they truly are meant to do? I was having a conversation with somebody today. They were having difficulty in figuring out what they're here to do. And so that's causing them that going to the short-term gratification, going to the Netflix, going to the sex, going to the drugs, going, cause they're just not clear on exactly what they want to do. They're looking for this sign. I gave them some advice, but what would be your advice to people who are just stuck right now? They're just, they don't have the clarity. They don't have the ambition. They know they need to change. They know the things that they need to do, but they just haven't done it yet. It goes back to passion, right? And to finish off the, the passion discipline is like, it, what are you, what would you do all day? I ask this all, I actually ask my clients this quite often. What would you do if money was no object? It's that simple. Yeah. What would you do if money was no object? It's, you'd be surprised at the answers I get. And I'm like, okay, cool. So we may not be able to make that your primary source of income, but how can we start doing something around that to maybe bring in a little bit of a revenue stream in that arena and see where it goes? Right. There's no heaviness. There's no weight. We're not asking you to, you'd be surprised at the amount of entrepreneurs that I have coached <laughs> just <laughs> from that conversation because so many people are conditioned to believe that they have to do X, Y, Z to be able to survive. Right. I'm telling you right now, I made my business from scratch and I don't even know what the fuck you actually call the entirety of my business, but I've made six figures like consistently running and almost doubled every year. So if you have passion behind it, you are unstoppable. You, There is nothing that will stop the voracious appetite that is fueling what you are going to bring forth to the world. And that could be art. It could be music. It could be coaching. It could be jewelry making it could be real estate whatever it is that is your thing and bringing back and then many people like i'm exhausted i'm fatigued i don't know where i'm at okay so then what you need to do you need to sit the fuck down and you need to start getting your nutrition and your sleep and some sort of meditation on point and then when your nervous system is calibrated for the next two months we can start reassessing where you need to find your purpose purpose i hate that word it's so overused but your passion in life what drives you forward and i it, it, and it, i don't like purpose because it's almost atypically pretty static whereas right. like passion is multifactorial and can evolve it does. And i do 
I do martial arts and I, I'm a cage I'm an amateur cage fighter and I have to constantly check in there because there's a lot of physical exhaustion that comes in there. And that's where it's this finely titrated thing. And it's a, it's a balance of mind and, and heart and soul. And it's a, a extreme. This is a, this is a practice this last year. I've really been titrating because I was so dominant logic monkey brain, like yeah. very logical, have to push forward. Nope. We're going training. We're doing MMA. I don't care how fucking exhausted we are to No, we need to rest. And is this passionate goal of getting into the UFC still in line with my heart and soul? So mm -hmm. this is like, I have to do this sometimes three, four times a week, sometimes every week or so, but it's being in line with that passion. Is that still in line? And then also not being attached to the concept of time because time itself is a fucking construct that society made to keep you tied into experiences that aren't even yours anymore and disconnects us from who we truly are in lieu of the shadow connection that society gives us, which is actually disconnect from our from our actual soul and our God-given right, in my humble opinion. <laughs> but you're not passionate about it, right? Not that, no. Not just, just a little bit. Not just a little bit. We got Andrea in the house. What's up, Andrea? Thank you for being here. Appreciate it. I haven't seen you in a bit. Thank you for re coming by. Ted Legal uh, comments here. He says, I have almost died eight times in the yep. past five years. I can relate. COVID three times, today. three heart attacks, and two sepsis infections. Wow. Damn, we'll stop doing that shit, Ted. I was on oxygen for nine weeks after COVID. And on week nine, I was at the mat side with my oxygen barometer and my wrestling coach is like, you're ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> you're like with the Paul socks. I've still got 75% oxygen. I can do this. It was 82, but yeah. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. I was just taking a guess. I was just taking a guess. Yeah, no, I really did have the Paul socks by the side of the mat. Not kidding. <laughs> See, I know you see, we share a brain. I'm just older and I've had to learn some of my lessons the hard way. So yeah, you'll get there one of these days. You'll, you'll, when you I've get older and you get a lot of lessons, I've got time to go. <laughs> you go you're going to continue to learn some lessons. I want to, uh, I want to take this into a different, a little bit of a different direction. Go for it. And thinking about this, when did you stop being a kid? Never. Never. Well, actually. Okay. I've gone back to being a kid. Okay. <laughs> When did you stop being a kid? And let's talk about that, that reemergence uh, as a kid. I've been, this is something I've been fascinated with lately because it goes back to something I learned in therapy, probably, geez, you, you said your mom died 11 years ago. I think my mom died 12 years ago now, but, um, afterwards, after it all, after I got to process it all, because I'd been through so much with her, I, my, through my work, I had like five sessions with a, with a counselor, you know, to talk about stuff. And I said, you know, I'm just going to go talk to somebody and see what they say and see what happens. And during that process, you know, I, I felt it was pretty worthless for the most part, but then she asked me this question. She said, when did you stop being a kid? Mm -hmm. And that really, again, I love questions, which I'm going to ask you about this, but that really got me to think about things. And so I was curious to ask you, when did you stop being a kid and talk to us about that, uh, that, that journey to becoming a kid again? Because I, I believe in my heart of hearts, we all need to get back there. hundred percent because being a child. So we are conditioned at a very early age to believe that play is not conducive to accomplishment and then we all when they're a kid where i was like i want to grow up i want to grow up i want to grow up i want to be an adult no you don't want to fucking adult right <laughs> <laughs> no this is not what i signed up for this is not what i signed up for and then you realize parents don't even know what the fuck they're doing but anyway so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i stopped being a kid probably around like accumulation so a little background I mean, I was conditioned to start being an adult pretty early just because my dad slipped on black ice in Korea when I was three, um, was never supposed to walk in Korea. Away. Yeah. He was on the tarmac. Um, and he, he lost like three inches in his spine 
So um, I was homeschooled from a very early age. I was had a lot of responsibility from a very early age. My first job when I was 14. So probably around 14, I really started losing a lot of the play. Um, and it was just, you're, you can only uh, divide your attention so much, right? And, right. and as you go through traumatic experiences, you we suppress that because the the trauma is compartmentalized and what is compartmentalized trauma it is compartmentalized energy what are the rules of energy you cannot negate it it has to be transferred so from a very early age i just started getting smushed in essentially and i lost a lot of that childlike play as a means of survival and i was extremely good at all accolades that i pursued i was always so good you know i was able to get a's i was able to be the top of whatever it was i I was number one i was a treasurer for keystone like all these different things and at a very young age but i lost that play because it was not essential and it wasn't a part of the overall construct of success which is actually determinant and a distraction from who we actually are because right the fulfillment process yep the fulfillment is lackluster and it's i call it check mark syndrome it's like oh i mean right here you can't hear it, but I got 40 medals here from just the last three years, but it was all <laughs> checkmark syndrome, right? It's like, yeah. oh, next, mm, next, mm, next. So I'll I will be happy that. when. Exactly. I'll be mm-hmm. happy when instead of I'm happy now, right? Yeah. The joy now, embodying what you can be now, yes. which goes to unconditional acceptance, right? And that's also terrifying. How do we get there? <laughs> How do we get to unconditional acceptance? I mean, when there's so many <laughs> things telling us that everything should be conditional. It should be, if you're pretty enough and you're smart enough and you're man enough and you're this enough and then that enough and you're not a dick and you're not cancel culture and you're, you know, all well, those, you're so many. We're conditioned to believe that if we accept something, that means that we won't actually pursue that thing anymore, which is counter to what it actually is. Because as you well know, we can then come sense from, from a sense of overflow in which I have so much of this. I just want to see what it's like to create more as opposed to the scarcity of if I don't hold on to this, I I will not be able to have it again. Well, that was me. That was me. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I found like as I started to heal from these things, my perception started to open up as my nervous system started to heal. And I started to really work on my sleep and my breath and um, really integrating all those things that I had been avoiding. My, my boss, I still remember pulling me into I had a panic attack at work at Gold's Gym number one in the the team but like i was super anxious attached to that job like i had to be top of the team he's like you're great at coping but there's gonna come a point at which you're going to collapse and i literally did collapse in 2019 i collapsed to the floor like a stone was carted off to the er and was a talking head for four hours so (laughs) after that i realized there was some stuff that i had to deal with or it was going to probably kill me and i wasn't quite ready to die Mm -hmm. So healing that stuff opened my perception open. And I was like, you know what? We're not going to do these conditional play and enjoyment things anymore because it's going to kill you. So when we do that, we open up our peripheral. We bring ourselves down to rest and digest. And it actually opens up our potential ability to not only deal with what's going on, but create the life that we actually want because we're not focused and burning out that neural pathway anymore. When you're mm-hmm. constantly driving in one area again and again and again, it's like a, it's like a blade. You're cutting and the blade is becoming duller and duller and duller. You wonder why you can't cut through that steak anymore. It's because you're not going back and you're not sharpening the blade. And that's what we all do with this hustle, grind, drive mentality. And we don't allow ourselves the play that we actually need to be able to pursue that thing with the energy and intention that we desire. Oh, soundbite right there. Soundbite right there, sister. I mean, I mean, that's so true. It's That's the thing that I learned about was the fact that 
for me in my process, when she asked me that, I said, I said, similar to you, I said, I, I said, you know, my mom did a good job in helping me play. I mean, she did a much better job than she did. She wasn't allowed to go out and play as a kid. It was all schoolwork. She graduated high school when she was 15. I mean, she had no social life. And so it explains a lot of her outbursts as a woman of this uh, child of the sixties and seventies, you know, free love and just rebelling against everything that she never got a chance to experience. And, and that's why she turned out the way she did. And so for me, getting to go out and play was part of that. But I had so many responsibilities that I was mm -hmm. held accountable to. I was the latchkey kid. Yep. You know, five, six, seven years old. And so when she asked me that question, I said, I said, honestly, I'd say about seven. I still played, but I, you know, between getting bullied and beat up at school and the physical yep. violence at home, my self-confidence, everything, that's when I was introduced to music. And that's when I just started listening to records all the time. That was my, that was my only escape for not going insane. Um, so I told her, I said about seven years old and she goes, you know, how do you feel about that? And I said, I feel like I was kind of ripped off. You know, I said, then at 13 years old, I was a seventh grade dropout having to live in the, the car with the cats and the dogs and all that other shit that I was exposed to. And she goes, you need to get back to that playfulness. And, and that's, so this was years and years ago, it was back like, you know, 10 years ago or 11 years ago when my mom died. And so as a result of like thinking about that, I'm like, you know, I have a TV, I have playstations, I have guitars, I have all sorts of stuff to play yep. yet. I don't. And then I said, okay, why don't I do that? And I started again, and we're doing this for you guys out there to, to let you guys if know, then, this, is, this, the, this, is the this is the process that we go through. And I said, finally, the long story short, I got to the point where I said, I feel guilty if I play without earning it. Mm -hmm. And I thought, if where then. does that come from? That comes from my, my childhood. We never went on vacations. Once we got done with something, we had something else to do and something else to learn and something else to do. And so it was like, that's, that's, and, and you didn't get your, your respect or you didn't get your earnings until you did all that, until you collapsed, until you came in the door, sweating and bleeding and crying and tired at the end of the day. And I'm like, okay, what would it be like if I shifted that belief? If I just actually let myself play, what kind of ideas might come to me in the, in the, in the play when I'm instead of sitting here focusing and concentrating and being so deliberate and intentional that I'm not having any ideas. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's important for everybody listening and watching this tonight is you have to get it going back to that sense of adventure, that sense of play. I was just coaching yeah. somebody before this show. And I said, get back to that sense of adventure. Like be curious about what's next. Don't hide from what's next. Don't be like, oh my God, I'm afraid of what's next. No, I'm excited because fear and excitement are literally the same thing. It just depends on what you look at it. Mm -hmm. So I want you to talk about that. What's help people understand the, 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 the way they can shift from fear to excitement. Well, fear is a story, right? It's a story of old projected onto new and every, everything in life, not just fear, not just excitement, but everything starts with experience, right? The experience is initiated. Then we have the thought and then the pile of thoughts creates the story. This goes to anything, absolutely anything. Experience is always the very first thing that, that happens. And then we create these thoughts around it, which is not us, mind you, for anyone who's watching this. If thoughts are just an extrapolation that we have that we have in our mind. And then we pile those on top of each other based off of previous stories or stories that we've observed. So that every experience in and of itself is inherently neutral until we project these stories upon it. So what are you outside the story? What are you outside the thoughts? What are the emotions mm -hmm. outside the thoughts in the story? They are all inherently neutral sensations. When you start to create that separation, you change your life. And this was the biggest thing for me in healing the anxiety. I was medicated for 10 years. So um, the biggest thing I would say is, why are you projecting a story? What are you trying to control here? And can you let go of that control? Because if you can let go of the need to control your entire experience and your potential for life opens up. Golden baby golden. I'm just saying golden ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you better be paying attention to this shit. 
I want to catch what Andrea said here. She said three things you need to do to break free from trauma, go from hurt to heal, call it the three R's recognize resilience and restore. What do you think about that? The only weariness I said, like recognize recognition. Yes. Mm -hmm. Resilience. Yes. To an extent restore. I would ask what you mean by that, because the definition there is a little bit different for everyone. In that, and definitions define your reality, right? One person's definition is entirely different than another, and that's why societal constructs are so different. It's funny to me how people hold their definitions so tightly. And I've traveled around the world, so I'm like, that definition doesn't mean that over here, and you're still (laughs) holding this more like. But anyway, the only wariness I have in affinity and identification with any verbiage is that that verbiage that you are deciding to associate with is going to subconsciously pull those experiences into your life that reinforce that sense of identity. So if you believe you are a resilient individual, you're going to have tough shit come your way because you have to reinforce that sense of resiliency and you wonder why you're exhausted all the time. So I don't attach any adjectives to myself personally. Again, this goes to the neutrality of every experience in what I decide to indulge myself in, which takes constant, it, it, it's like any, any process, any exercise, right? The more that you do it and you create the separation, the more default it becomes. True. But anytime you label something as hard or difficult or exhausting, guess what it's going to be? Yeah, if yeah. you want to be resilient, you're going to deal with some interesting circumstances. And as long as you're okay with that, cool. But if you're wondering why a bunch of things are difficult, you might want to look at the adjective usage that you're deciding to attach to yourself. Mm, so true. So true. And I love that because, I mean, we really thoughts become things yep. and actions make them so. So when we sit there and I think about, and I have something I've caught, my, caught myself recently uh, on my Friday night show with Scott, the last, last uh, we've been doing things like seasons, like they do on mm-hmm. Netflix. So one of our seasons was, who am I? You know, identity, who am I statements? I am mm-hmm. statements. And through that process, most of the time, like say, who are you? Well, I'm a coach. I'm a dad. I'm a this, I'm a that. And through this process and us having this exploration of conversation with different people, I think we did about eight different people talking about who am I? What's our identity? How did you come to find your identity? How can we help other people find their identity? And I found for me, like I changed my, I am statements like, oh, I am tired or I am this, I'm that. I'm like, no, I'm experiencing feelings of being tired, but exactly. I am not tired. Correct. Okay. There's a, there's a delineation there. So I, I so I, yeah, so I catch myself now, but what I say often, and I say when I wake up in the morning is that I am peace. And so mm-hmm. when I find myself going throughout the day and I'm frustrated and I'm this, and I sit there and say, oh, I'm frustrated. I, uh-uh. I'm experiencing moments of frustration, but I am actually peace. Well, and that has been, peace. that has been helping me because you're right. What we focus on mo- most, you know, where they think about it, where, you know, where focus goes, energy flows. So I think about it in terms of the reticular activation system, right? The RIS system. Yep. You sit there and go to buy a car, you're going to buy a green Honda. And all of a sudden you see green Hondas everywhere. It's like, oh my God, what happened? They were there all the time. You were just focusing on everything else, but now you're focusing on the green Honda. Yep. I tell people all the time, like, look around your room right now. For all of you guys listening and watching, do this exercise, look around the room and tell me everything that's red. And just take a second. Like that's red, 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 that's red. So in my own office, I picked everything that's red. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you'll be like, oh my God, he's going to ask me what's red. No, I'm going to say, tell me what's blue. Then you're going to be like, oh, Chris, she told me to look for what's red. And I'm like, uh-huh. Same thing in life. You look for the bad things, like you said, yep. speaking to your point. Like if you look for those things, that's what you're going to find. And so we have to sit there and look for our lives in terms of opportunities. 
and top and in terms of experiences, right? Everything that nothing is a final outcome. Everything is an opportunity for us to continue to grow stronger and to continue to experience these moments in deeper respect and regard for gratitude, because we never know when our last moments are going to be. And I think that's one of the key things to life. And that's one of my last questions for you is, is this, and I think about, we've asked a lot of questions tonight. What are some of your favorite questions for you to either ask your clients to get them to have that shift or questions that you ask yourself that get you to have that shift? Because like for me, like I'll ask myself the question, what am I creating? Am I creating chaos right now? Am I creating bullshit right now? Am I creating something that, that I'm going to be proud of? Um, I'll ask myself, will I be happy with this decision tomorrow? Like back when I was doing stupid shit in the moment, it feel great. But Chris, are you going to be happy with this decision when you wake up tomorrow? You're going to look back and go, oh man, I shouldn't have done that. So I started asking myself those questions. What are some questions we can leave with everybody tonight um, that can help them think about their situations a little bit differently? I'm a fan of uh, sticky notes. When I find questions, I put them up on my monitor and I ask myself those questions and I do that work. What things can we leave people with tonight? And then I want to ask um, where people can get a hold of you so they can continue the conversation. Awesome. So there's a couple. And then I'll leave one on the tune of I am as the last. The first, and this is one for those who uh, have issues with anxiety and issues with panic and fear. Um, what am I afraid of right now? Yeah. That's a big one. Because any any hypervigilance, any trigger, any of that, it's always a, a threat to the, ner to the uh, sympathetic nervous system and the story either of physicality or identity. Anytime that is triggered, that their sense of identity that will come up and there's a, there's that wall that comes up. It's like, what it's, he's going to get hurt. Something's going to go wrong. Something's yep. going to get fucked over that someone's going to betray them. So what am I afraid of right now? And bringing yep. awareness as to what that is, is a, is a huge one. Then for more of the, the, cause I also deal with higher level entrepreneurs as well. Um, what did, what do you want to create out of life? Yeah. What is, what is, what is your creation point? Because we're all creators. We're all made in God's image, whoever you believe in God, universe, whatever it is, which means that we are capable of creating absolutely anything. So what do you want to create out of life? And then lastly, what are you outside of thought? Ooh. Talk to us to go a little bit deeper on that one. I think that might be need some explaining to do for some people. Everybody defines themselves with words. Everybody believes that they are the things that they associate with. Everybody believes that their experiences are their attachments, their emotions. And you already started to touch on this, like I am peace, but you are peace or are you experiencing peace? Right. So what are you without a definition? And this is not something that can come to verbiage because we are outside language. When we were born, we were, we don't speak language. We speak energy. We forget mm -hmm. that over time. We're conditioned to believe that. We're conditioned to believe that the only way we can communicate is this. But all of us know good vibes and bad vibes. That is our original language that we are conditioned from a very young age to forget. And this entire process of life, in my humble opinion, is remembering who we are and all that we are not. Yeah. So. Beautifully said. Ariel, where can people get a hold of you, continue the conversation with you, learn more about you? And uh, yeah. So uh, Facebook is probably the number one, um, Ariel Ziegler or Heart and Soul Wellness. That's with an N and then S-O-L-E wellness. Um, uh, Instagram. Spell, spell your name for people who are listening on the podcast. Ariel, A-R-I-E-L, last name Ziegler, Z-E-I-G-L-E-R. And uh, Ariel Ziegler one on Instagram and then also LinkedIn. It's the same as well. 
Awesome, my dear. This has been a tremendous conversation. I know you're sick, so thank you for bringing it irregardless um, or regardless as I've been having this conversation with people. I don't think there's irregardless or regardless, but thank you for being here, my dear. I know thank this is a powerful episode and we're going to get a lot of feedback on the, the the power and the strength of the strategies that we shared tonight. So thank you. I'm going to place you backstage. I'm still going to get you out of here in three minutes so you can make your other thing, but don't go anywhere. I won't. I'm here. Thank you. You're awesome. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Thank you all for being here. Holly's in the house. She says, this is so great. I will be watching this again, working on changing habits, old habits, narratives, and views. Yes, you are, Holly. Uh, we're going to see you at the next meeting. Definitely, girl, you're going to be there. Uh, Holly is in my group accountability coaching program. So uh, thank you, Holly, for being here. I put this up here. These are the questions that we asked or that Ariel just asked. Ariel just asked um, what am I afraid of and what do you want to create in life? right? This one is huge. This is when I was, I was just asking uh, one of my coaching clients about this. I'm like, what are you running from? You know, when you think about it, what are you running from? What is it that you are running from? The person that's listening to this, watching this on the, on the, on the YouTube and everything else, what are you running from? What are you afraid of? You know, why are you self-sabotaging yourself? Why are you continuing to talk to yourself in a way that is not conducive to you achieving the results that you say that you want? Here's the thing. Here's what we talked about tonight. You got to have that first. You got to have that self-love. The, the base component, the foundation of you having a kick-ass life is that self-love respect, right? Maybe you've done some things incorrectly in your life. Maybe you had some shit happen in your past. You got to forgive yourself, right? You can't beat yourself up over and over and over again for something that happened once. Did you learn your lesson? Has something positive come out from this? Can you create something positive out from this if, if, if nothing has happened? right? If you're just stuck in it, right? Find empathy and forgiveness for yourself because you didn't know what you didn't know. And this is a journey. This is an exploration of us getting more, like Ariel said, getting more in touch with us, finding out who we are and letting the rest of the stuff go. I have found in my nearly 55 years on being on this earth, which is crazy for me to say that it really is about letting go of the ego, letting go of the, the, the need for validation, the need for approval, the need to prove people right or prove people wrong. It's about the moments. It's about experiencing our gift and being able to share our gift with the world in such a way that we can create connection and we can create impact and we can create ripples from the fact that we were here fogging a mirror in this amazing thing we call life that we only get to experience for a short amount of time. Like I said, I'm 55. I could do the math, right? I'm on the other side of things, which is crazy because I have so much more in my mind and everything else. But there is an infinite amount of time that we get to experience this thing called life. And so my urgency with you guys is to stop fucking yourself over. Stop hanging around people who don't support you and push you to be better, right? You got to do these things. Get out of your comfort zone. Have a bigger why. Create a legacy that empowers you every single day to go out and take chances and risks. Start talking to yourself a little bit better. Get a rubber band and put it around your wrist. And when you catch yourself saying, oh, I'm all so stupid and I never get things right and I always fuck things up, start snapping yourself and stop it and say, why am I saying that to myself? right? Words have power. Words have power. You wouldn't let your best friend talk to themselves that way. You wouldn't let your kids talk to themselves that way. So it's not fucking right that you do it for yourself. Yet you sit there and hope, wish, and pray that someday you're going to have an amazing life. You have to switch what it is that you're doing. Ladies and gentlemen, you have to switch what it is that you're thinking. And then you have to go out there and do the work and it won't be easy. It's going to be hard. It's going to be challenging. It's going to be frustrating. It's going to be exhausting. It's going to be everything. But on the other side of it, when you look back and you're going to see the progress that you made and the person that you become as a result of that, you're going to have what's called, how do they say? Respect for yourself. You're going to have integrity. You're going to be aligned with your values. You're going to be more on fire than you've ever been before. And you're going to continue to make that positive ripple in the world and create the legacy that you deserve to leave in this world, right? Don't leave possessions. Don't leave money and all that other stuff because that people aren't going to remember you that way. Be you, be authentically and congruently 100% you, live your life, rock your fucking life out, 
fly your freak flag, go out there and experience it, right? Go back and watch the show if you just came in the middle part of it, because since the beginning of it, we were fire. So I appreciate you guys. If you guys want to go check out anything that I've got going on, noexcusescoach.com, go check it out. The group accountability program is doing amazing. I still got it at fire prices. Just my way of helping you guys crush 2024. So we'll be back here next week on the Raw and Scripted Show, 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. If you want to catch us live on the YouTube and everything else, otherwise catch us on podcast, wherever podcasts are sold. And we'll see you next time on Raw and Scripted. Go out there, be beautiful, guys. And I love you guys. Peace. Cheers.